This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Good morning. For as long as I can remember, the season of Advent has been a particularly exciting time for me. When I was a kid, there was the anticipation of a long break from school, of traveling down to Florida to my grandparents' homes to be with extended family and all that Christmas involved for all of us cousins. But even as an adult, I noticed that I've retained an excitement for Advent. Even though the things that I anticipate have changed a bit. The boys on the pastoral team historically even throw me in the preaching schedule during this time of year. And I have been looking forward to this moment. What a, what a privilege and what a pleasure it is to share God's word with the people I love. This is a season of anticipation. So let's talk a bit more about anticipation. Because anticipation really is at the heart of what Advent is about. For in Advent, we not only focus on what has happened already, but in a special kind of way, we focus on what is to come. We who are Christians are people who not only have an incredible story to tell of God's promises kept, but we also have incredible promises of what is to come. And this season should excite our hearts as we focus on God's faithfulness to his people and to anticipate even more of his goodness and grace towards us. Anticipation brings with it a focus, an energy, an eagerness that envisions us. It guides us in the choices we make and sharpens how we think. And all of us have stories of how this has played out in our lives, whether it be expectant parents awaiting the little bundle of joy to arrive, or starting a new career opportunity, or waiting for the new K-Brew to open up at the <laughs> intersection with Ebenezer. These things get our attention and they, and they fuel our imaginations. For those of you who don't know me, aren't familiar with me, the way I pay the bills is to fly an airplane. Um, it's a great job, full of opportunities to serve people and uh, to test my knowledge and, and skills. And one of the more exciting things that I get to experience when I fly to Europe, which is what I normally do, is to fly approaches into poor visibility, relying on my instruments to get me down to the runway. There's just nothing to see out there when you're in the middle of the clouds as thick as pea soup. So I have a couple of photos actually from my last trip. So here I am, <clears throat> and I'm heading down into that. So, no airport to be seen, no runway to look at and line up on, so what do I do? Well, next photo, I rely on some promises. 
So this is kind of a kind of a helpful thing to have when you're looking out at clouds and there's there's nothing to be seen. Now I have a target that I can aim for. Got all the information that I need there. It looks like I'm about two knots slow here on the left, so I need to fix that. But I'm descending through 19,000 feet on the way down to the runway. And apart from that kind of creepy image of my face up there at the top in the reflection, <laughs> I think that can be a little bit of a helpful picture, <laughs> apart from that. So as I'm approaching this unseen runway, in the back of my mind, I know I'm headed toward the Earth and get down close to it at 150 miles an hour or so in a 400,000-pound airplane, 500 feet above the ground, 400 feet above the ground, 300 feet and what I'm thinking is, where are those runway lights? When am I going to finally be able to see that? Will I see it in time to land this thing? I want to see the fulfillment of the promises that my instruments made to me. That there's a nice big runway laid out for me just ahead. And that, my friends, is exciting stuff, I tell you. And if a pilot believes that the promises his flight instruments are make, make are faithful and true, then there's a particular kind of joy in shooting an approach like that, an approach in poor visibility. There's an excitement, there's a focus, there's a sharpness of action that comes from anticipating the outcome. And when that big bird touches down, there is satisfaction that comes from the fulfillment of those promises. There is joy in anticipation. Advent is marked by the joy of anticipation. Advent tells us that we live awaiting the fulfillment of promise. It leads us to Christmas and it also reminds us there's a promise of even more to come. The coming of the Christ child wasn't the end of the story. There is a consummation of all that God has done that awaits us. So Advent calls us to focus. Advent calls us to excitement. Advent calls us to a sharpness of action. Advent calls us to a vision of the fulfillment of more promises to come. God has more in store in redemptive history, and it is good to anticipate that unseen glory. And as we anticipate this grand promise, it trains us to live in the midst of all of our smaller things, our present things as well. We're going to look at two passages today briefly. And in our passages, we're going to consider tabernacles and temples. Things that might not immediately resonate with us like they would have for God's people 2,000 years ago, but they should. Because tabernacles and temples were places where God's people of old especially encountered God's 
presence. And that's something very dear to all of us as well. And our text show us that though God had provided a place where his people could experience him, he had always promised something even better to come. And we're also going to consider a person associated with the tabernacle or temple, the priest. The priest was a very important person to God's people of old. In our passages, we'll see God's promise for a greater priest than they had ever seen before. Our faithful God had something better awaiting. And I believe God wants us living in anticipation of him. And I'm going to call that the main point of the message today. God wants us living in anticipation of him. Our considering anticipation this morning is going to be couched in two sections of scripture, first from the book of Hebrews and second from John's gospel. If you need a Bible to follow along, just raise your hand and our ushers are happy to bring you one. Mark it up with your notes, put your name in it, it's yours to have. And if you have your Bible with you, would you please turn with me now to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. Hebrews is a book that amazes and excites me for so many reasons. And the more that you can dig into this wonderful book, I think, the better. It is so full of Christ-exalting, worshipful revelation, so full of mysteries dealing with God's creation, so full of encouragement to those of us who face discouragement and uncertainty, so full of glimpses into that which is beyond what we see around us. So let's read the first five verses of chapter 8, and behold amazing things from God's Word. This is the Word of God. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Priests and tabernacles, or tents, important people and important places to the Lord and his people. I want to pause just for a moment and just remark how astounding and wonderful it is what a gift to have the Lord reveal to us what he thinks is important. He's, he's not far off apart from us in just total mystery. He has revealed what we need to know about him 
how kind, how merciful, how wonderful this gift is. What a privilege it is to be shown these things. And then even more than revealing himself through the prophets and apostles' writing, he revealed himself in the person of Jesus, who humbled himself to live as one of us. Now, if you would back up in your Bibles just a little bit to John's Gospel, chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 19 through 21 to hear from Jesus' own lips about priests and tabernacles and greater things to come. John 2, 19 through 21. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Anticipation for God involves anticipating a very special person and a very special place. And so we're going to look at these one at a time. We're going to pick up the topic of place first, and then we'll address the topic of person. So our first point then is that in God's greater reality, yet to be fully seen, there is a place for us to anticipate. So point one, anticipation for a place. In both of the passages that we read, there's a context for God's people to think on. A place is in view. And place has always been important to God and to God's people, so a little background would be good. Adam and Eve, of course, were placed in a garden. And after their fall, it is not insignificant that they found themselves banished from the place where they had enjoyed access to God. Place meant nearness to God. And since that banishment, God's people have looked for wherever they could go to experience God's presence and blessing. Abraham was promised not only a legacy, but a place in which that legacy would exist. He left his old home and embarked on a course toward the place that he was dreaming of. And the saga continued. The joy of the exodus from Europe, uh, from Europe, from Egypt. My exodus from Europe was yesterday. <laughs> the exodus from Egypt was the promise of a place where they would live with God, and significantly, God provided them a tabernacle or tent in order to experience him along the way. Now, this tabernacle or tent described in Levit Leviticus was a gift from God to his people as they wandered in the wilderness. As perplexing at times as Levit Leviticus can be to our modern sensibilities, the beauty of this book is that it shows the mercy and kindness of God to make it possible for sinful man to be in the presence 
of a holy God. We can't just waltz into a place like that. It matters how we present ourselves. When I fly, I don't show up in tennis shoes, jeans, and a t-shirt. I wear a uniform, which communicates something to the passengers I serve. I take my job seriously, and I present myself accordingly. It matters how we present ourselves. But when it comes to coming into the presence of a holy God, it is a way bigger deal than the set of clothes that we wear. Because what is most significant about what I'm wearing is the stain of my sin, which is abhorrent to a holy God. So we're not just talking about looking the part with our attire. It's about whether I can even exist in his presence without some help. When Isaiah encountered the Lord in Isaiah 6, what did he say? Woe is me. I am lost. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. He called out woe upon himself because he knew that his sin meant he was going to be annihilated coming into the presence of the holy. God had mercy, and he intervened to fix Isaiah's problem. God needed to act. Well, it was the same for the people of the Exodus. They're not going to be able to exist in the presence of a holy God with the sin that they bore with them. So you see how kind it was for God to provide a tabernacle for his people. Leviticus shows that God must lay out stipulations and conditions that make it even possible for us to be in his presence. Now God is everywhere, of course, but he was making an important point. What he was doing visibly and tangibly was pointing toward a greater reality. Sin must separate us from God, and God has to provide the way for it to be overcome. Likewise, we see the same concept with the most holy place of the temple later on in redemptive history. Not even the high priest could feel safe coming into that place except on very strict conditions laid out by God. Sinful man, even the high priest, couldn't come into the presence of a holy God unless God made a way. And thanks be to God, he has always shown himself to be merciful and kind and faithful to give us hope of being with him. So in example after example in Scripture, God's people viewed place in anticipation and hope for God's presence and grace. The forbidden garden left us looking forward to a redeemed creation. Leaving Egypt for a promised land pointed to an existence whereby the enemies of God had been driven out and God's people could reside with him unmolested. The tabernacle and temple pointed to a greater way 
for, God, for God's people to be in his presence. So in short, all the places God had given to his people were shadows that pointed to this greater reality, ultimately a heavenly reality. The kingdom, as theologian Graham Goldsworthy defines, is God's people living in God's place under God's gracious rule. There is a perfect expression of that, which one day we will experience in heaven. Now, does that help us for today? You bet it does. It gives us hope to know that we are headed somewhere better. It makes a difference to us for us to be able to see something that points to something better. As beautiful as the Smokies are in autumn, they point to something greater. There's a new heaven and a new earth where our idea of beauty is going to be transformed into a new understanding. It's so good for us to be able to see things and say, that's beautiful. Because it gives us a hint that there is something really beautiful that is in the future. And in the meantime, as we look for God's grace in all these different ways, around us, it changes us. It changes us because as we consider what God has done and who, who he is and what he is like, it leads us to worship. It changes us when we look for God's grace and we look for and imagine the vision of what is to come. So how do we get to these wonderful places that we are envisioned for? Well, as we have said, we don't automatically have access just because we exist. There is a way that God has defined, a unique portal through which we must pass, which brings us to our second point. There is a person that we anticipate as well. Point two, anticipation for a person. Throughout the Bible, we see God emphasizing relationship. When he first speaks, he speaks to others, not just making declarations in solitude. When he created us, he made us plural and called us to relate to one another. It was his desire to have a people for himself, not just a person for himself. Relationship is a fundamental part of our existence, therefore. Relationship with other people and relationship with him, and he designed these things to overlap. We are to interact with others in the grace that God gives, and we are to interact with God with and through others. Worshiping together and extending God's grace to each other through our gracious words, as Ephesians teaches us. We can build faith in one another with our gracious, encouraging words. 
we can be a part of the work of God in another's life, being used by Him to benefit another. An incredible privilege and opportunity. But there would be one relationship that God designed. There would be a unique, with a unique person in a unique role, an intermediary between God and man who would be absolutely indispensable, the priest. God has never wanted us going it alone. He built us for relationship. And he didn't want us going it alone when it came to interacting with him. Again, we don't have what it takes to just waltz into God's presence on our own merits. Someone must come before us to him on our behalf, equipped with what God says is necessary. In the Old Testament, that meant the priest who utilized the sacrificial system in order to have special access to God. But as our texts tell us, those priests only pointed to a greater reality. The greater reality that God himself would dwell with us and win for us free access has come in the person of Jesus Christ, whose new covenant changed everything. Because he paid the penalty for our sins, they have been cast as far as the east is from the west. Because he lived perfectly, we can be credited with his righteousness. Because he says we can now be found in him, we are welcomed into the presence of a holy God. Because of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get to experience God today in ways that we would not have been able to otherwise. Jesus is the way God provided for us to be with him today. So we often talk about here at Cornerstone about the great treasure which is communion with the Father through the Son and the power of the Spirit, there is no better thing to hope for. There is no greater relational understanding than that. There is no greater treasure than communion with God Himself. And we can have it. But you know what? There is even more of our experience of God yet to come, isn't there? We enjoy the sweetness of communion with God through Christ in wonderful ways right now. We experience prayers being heard and answered. We experience a peace that flies in the face of the world's understanding. The world does not get it, what John said this morning. The world doesn't understand about seeing suffering in a way that builds us up, strengthens our faith, and makes us like Christ. We read the words of Scripture, and they mean something to us in a way that no other writings can. We hear the voice of God through them. And so this Advent 
God again says to us, you just wait. The best is yet to come. Can you imagine being Peter standing there on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Jesus in his glory? Can you imagine Paul encountering Jesus in blinding light on the Damascus Road? Or John on the island of Patmos, beholding the glorified Christ? We will experience that one day. We will see him face to face. We will be blown away by a majesty, a beauty, a glory like we've never known. He will reign before our eyes. He will rule with God's strength, with God's majesty and character. We will look upon him with wonder and admiration and love like we've never known before. And with all of heaven, our song will be the song of Revelation 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is our song. We will sing that song in the heavenly place as we dwell secure. We're going to experience safety and security like we've never known before because get this, the place and the person are, are absolutely indivisibly connected. The perfect place means to be with the perfect person. And the perfect person has made it possible for there to be a perfect place where we can go. He is both temple and priest. And this is what Jesus was referring to in John 2. He is where we experience God. And He is the one who makes it possible. If we have Him, we have it all. And now, as we await that incredible, blessed existence, as long as we are looking to Him, trusting in Him, abiding in Him, focusing on, thinking on, praying to, emulating and worshiping Him, we will find glimpses of that perfect existence yet to come. All will one day be made right. 
as we grow more and more in our, in our anticipation for His next coming, our perspective on our present trials changes. We're envisioned, we are strengthened, our faith is built that we might stand. My favorite Advent song is Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. Great words now as we await the glorious Revelation song we will one day sing to Him. Lo, He comes with clouds descending, once for favored sinners slain. Thousand, thousand saints attending swell the triumph of His train. Hallelujah, hallelujah, God appears on earth to reign. The dear tokens of His passion still His dazzling, dazzling body bears, cause of endless exultation to His ransomed worshipers. With what rapture, with what rapture, gaze we on those glorious scars. Yea, amen, let all adore Thee, high on Thine eternal throne. Savior, take the power and glory, claim the kingdom for Thine own. O oh, come quickly, O oh, come quickly, everlasting God, come down. Yes, indeed, Lord Jesus, we long to see You face to face. So why is all this so important to consider and to embrace? It does affect our worship right now. The more we consider who God is and what He is like, His character and what He has done and His promises to us, the more we will worship Him as He deserves. Now, can we worship the perfect holy God perfectly now? Well, as Paul taught us, we now see dimly, but one day, one glorious day, nothing will obscure the majesty of who we behold. But we don't just sit around and wait to go to glory to worship Him, do we? The promise is we can know Him better and better every day. The great treasure we have in Christ is communion with God to have Him reveal Himself more and more to us, that we may know Him more and more. So let's embrace that. Let's think about God. Let's immerse ourselves in what He has revealed and watch your worship flourish. Second, thinking of the grand idea of where we are going and who we'll meet informs how we should live our lives in this meantime. Being envisioned for what's to come is the stuff of hope. We look at our lives and our situations, and if we're envisioned for a future, what we can do is imagine what it would look like if God were to give grace to our present situations. Imagine what that would be like. And then we pray for that grace. And we pray for the wisdom that guides us in our responsibility as we live. And we hold that vision before us 
And that is what it means to live in hope. Because we all face very heavy challenges in this life. Relationships can be hard. Our sin can be frustrating and nagging. Tragedies strike. Two days ago, the town of Mayfield, Kentucky, sat quietly awaiting Christmas. Now that town is gone. This life has very, very difficult things to face. But what if in the midst of our most trying times, we could imagine grace acting and how it might change things? How would that change difficult relationships? How might we be strengthened to battle against that sin that just keeps hanging on? How might grace strengthen us to stand in the face of the most difficult things? We don't know what the Lord will ordain for us in the specific things in our life but we can live our lives hopefully, no matter what comes. Not in an optimistic, fantasy kind of way, but in a way that is absolutely informed by the character of the one in whom we are trusting. He has grace for us that may change our circumstances and absolutely will change us molding us and growing us evermore into the image of Christ. As you approach your destination airport, you review all the promises that the instruments and the approach procedures make. There are navigation frequencies and features of the approach in the airport and the runway you intend to land on then once you get closer on the approach, you start getting confirmation of those promises. Identifiers for the navigation radios and, and identifiers for the runway begin to appear in your display. The promises are true, but you're still in the clouds, waiting to see the lights in the surface of the runway. You have real promises, but you're not there yet. God's people of old had true promises in which they believed and hoped. They had priests and they had tabernacles. And here in Advent 2021, having been given the greatest confirmation of God's redemptive promises in our Lord and Savior, we can now rejoice in what God has done on our behalf, greater than God's people ever have or ever could have done before. And yet we still are awaiting the final outcome of God's redemptive plan, the Lord's glorious return. We know Him and thank God that we are secure in Him, but we long to experience Him perfectly. Jesus is the one in whom we now rest, trust, hope, and one day will join in glorious triumph.
May our Advent this year be filled with joy as we look forward to a place where we will one day live and a person we will one day know perfectly. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so kind to your people. You are so kind to reveal yourself to us. You are so kind to give us ways to experience you. You are so kind to strengthen us along the way. You are so kind to have come, to have shown us that all of the prophecies, all of the promises, all of what we had hoped for are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Lord, by your Spirit, give us grace. Fill us, strengthen us, envision us, give us an, an anticipation for one day we will be with you. We will know you unhindered and we will rejoice yes. even as we rejoice today. Yes. Lord God, you are kind and you are worthy of our worship. To you be honor yes. and glory, yes. majesty and strength and honor forever and ever. Yes. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.